HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $175 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. If you want to know more about membership, visit specialtyfood.com. In each episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, Megan Rooney, Program Development Manager at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode and so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture, and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's very special guests are Allison Evans and Chloe Bergson of SaySo, a New York-based women-owned premium cocktail company. After meeting at Harvard Business School, the duo designed the three-minute solution to creating high-quality cocktails at home. Recently, Allison and Chloe won the People's Choice Award for a fancy New York pitch competition at the 2023 Summer Fancy Food Show. Congrats again and welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Excited to chat with you. For sure. So, kicking things off, can you guys tell us a bit more about Seso's products? Yeah, I'll get started on this one. So, you did a great description in your introduction, but Seso is the first ever craft cocktail mix in a tea bag. So we use all natural dehydrated ingredients in granulated and powdered format, as well as with some whole pieces of real ingredients inside a tea bag. So all someone has to do is infuse that tea bag in cold water, optionally add spirits, and they get a delicious cocktail in less than three minutes. Beautiful. And can you tell listeners a bit about your background and how the idea for Say So came about? Yeah, I could take this one. So like you mentioned in in the intro, Allison and I met while we were in business school. Um, We previously had both had experience in retail. Um, I had some experience in in management consulting as well. Um, But 
the most important thing was that we both were really interested in being entrepreneurs um, and had a mutual passion for the food and beverage industry. So we became um, friends while we, quickly while we were at business school, really bonded over that, um, and then had the opportunity to participate in this optional weekend intensive where you would essentially bring um, a business idea, you would do um, some prototyping, you would do some customer focus groups, um, and it culminated in a pitch where you would present to a room full of professors and you know students and industry people. Um, and we did we took a version of, of this idea through that and it was so well received that we decided to um, pursue it full time. Wow, that's great. And other than the intensive, how did attending Harvard Business School together help you to run a food business? I think these are probably um, personal answers, but I can start. Um, I think for me, going to business school um, really just gave me the confidence I needed to start a business um, and the network that that we needed, which, which was super important. Um, you know, ultimately, you kind of just learn as you go, um, but it gave me a good idea of where and how to start and how to be resourceful with the people that we met throughout that process. Yeah, I, I agree. I echo Chloe's sentiments regarding the needing the confidence to start something. I think going in, I always was really interested in entrepreneurship, but at first I was like, oh, do I need maybe another job before I would start something? But you're in this breeding ground of curiosity and exploration. And it's the perfect time to utilize your elective courses to explore what you're really interested in. So to, to add, Chloe and I really focused on the entrepreneurship course courses offered at Harvard Business School our second year. And we were really able to work on Say So while we were at school. And it made me realize that, you know, why wait? To, to start something. And I think that almost came out of, for me, a little bit of conversations with younger classmates who are coming to business school. Like I went after four years of work, Chloe went after five years, but when, once you get there, like everyone's kind of in an equal playing field. And so you're like, Oh, I could have even gone sooner and had this great experience. And it's the same thing with starting a company. Like if you wait a few more years or you just get started, you're really just learning on the go either way. And there's no time like the present. So I think it really helped to open my eyes to that realization. Awesome. Yeah. You hear founders again and again, say, start before you are completely ready. Um, and it sounds like that's what happened for you guys. How many years have you been in the food industry? Well, officially since we started Say So, which would have been um, in 2020 when we graduated from HBS is when we decided to, to pursue this full time. Um, neither Allison or I had experience working in the food industry before this. Um, so we, we just we lean a lot on, on advisors for any like direct expertise that, that's been required. Cool. And where did your love of food and drink come from? Did your parents encourage you to try new food and drink as children or what really sparked your desire to get into food? For me, I, I think it was just a personal um, curiosity and desire to try new things. I think 
I love traveling and my favorite part about any trip is trying the new cuisine of a different region where I am. And I always look forward to planning out restaurants and looking to where I want to go. I actually have a funny one internship I did in college. I worked for a private concierge company. And a big part of my job was having to stay up to date on restaurants for the clients when they would call in and they wanted to go to a hot new restaurant and what was the opening. And actually a part of my job each day was spending a couple hours reading food and restaurant news. And I subscribed to all these newsletters and I never unsubscribed. And I think that strange experience of that role that I had really piqued my interest in terms of staying up to date on what's going on and wanting to try all new places. Yeah, I think that's probably a a better answer than mine. I I would, I would think that for me, it was, um, just moving to New York city. I was, I was born and raised in Montreal, which is actually separately a a fantastic food city, but, um, going to, to New York just kind of blew my mind. Like there are so many options and I just absolutely love going for dinner. So I, created this like insane Excel spreadsheet of all the restaurants I wanted to go to, had been to, and, you know, had all these filters on them. Um, and, um, I was like obsessive about it at one point. So I think that that's where it came from probably for me and just have been, you know, loving it ever since. Both of those are such great answers. I love it. Um, what were the obstacles that you faced in bringing your brand to market? So the, the biggest obstacle that we've had for sure has been on the manufacturing side. Um, we are kind of blessed and, and cursed at the same time in bringing this, this product to market because on one hand, it's a completely new product category. So there's you know all this white space and we're so differentiated in that way. Um, but at the same time, there was no existing process for making this product. So it took us a long time um, and a lot of R&D, trial and error, um, to really establish a a scalable way to make it. Um, Thankfully, those days are are mostly behind us, um, but it took about a year and a half. Um, So that that was by far the the biggest. Mm. And knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently if you could start over again? Well, hindsight is 2020, right? So I think we could have spent a lot less money um, just knowing what our what our process is now and not having to go through jump through all those hoops to, to figure it out. But I mean, that's just part of part of the journey. Um, I think you know, at the end of the day, we've learned from everything that we've done, and um, everything has has been um, an experience that we that we probably needed to get to where we are. Totally. What was the biggest surprise about getting involved in the specialty food trade? I think that for us, it's kind of a second part to the manufacturing challenge question that Chloe just answered. But when you have an idea for a product, I think as a young entrepreneur, the process of getting it made isn't really something that you think about before you start pursuing it necessarily. So for Chloe and I, we were hand making products for the first 
year and a half of the business before we realized we proved product market fit and customer demand and then started looking for a co-packer. And then lo and behold, as she mentioned, it was such a huge challenge. And I think, you know, some people in beverage, if they have a product they can can or they can bottle, it might be simpler than putting ingredients into a tea bag. But I don't know if anyone listened to the podcast on even how Spindrift got started, which was trying to put fresh juice into a sparkling water in the can. And that had never been done before. And that took so long to figure out too. So something that seems like a simple concept in specialty food could actually be a mountain of a manufacturing challenge to, to face. Mm, for sure. And how has Say So evolved since you got your start? Well, the first iteration of the product or the first idea for the concept was actually quite different. Um, it was a dehydrated infusion product in mason jars. Um, that was the initial idea that we took to the startup bootcamp class. Um, so the, the customer would basically take their spirit and pour it into this mason jar and let it infuse for 24 to 48 hours. Um Really, the main learning that came out of that week process was that people weren't willing to wait 24 hours for their drink. And so we needed something that was going to be instant or near instant. Um, and the way that we addressed that was by using powders and granulated ver versions of the ingredients that we also use whole pieces of. Um, and that allows us to basically rehydrate these ingredients by adding water quite quickly instead of having to let them infuse. So that was a really big uh, piece of the product evolution. But since then, it's really been pretty staple in the sense that it's been the same types of ingredients, combinations of ingredients in a tea bag. And we really um, feel strongly about maintaining that because, you know, using real ingredients and the visual transparency that comes along with, with using the tea bag is important to us. Very cool. And yeah, three minutes seems a lot better than 24 hours for someone that wants a drink. Um, so you spoke a bit about your natural ingredients like low sugar, kosher, gluten-free, non-GMO, vegan and plant-based. And that's really amazing. Um, where do you guys find inspiration for new flavors that includes these ingredients? So we really wanted our cocktails to have our own unique spin on the classic favorites. So if you take our margarita instead of a classic margarita, we, Chloe and I's favorite cocktail is a spicy margarita. So we wanted to put that twist on it. With our Paloma, we looked for a balancing flavor to grapefruit and thought that cardamom would be interesting and unique and not something that people would just have at home to throw into their cocktail. Our Moscow Mule has honey and rosemary, which is again, our old spin on it. So the inspiration really is twofold. It's like one, thinking about what are the most popular cocktails, and then two, how can we put our own spin on them with like ingredients that a customer wouldn't typically have at home. And as we continue to develop our product line, it's really important to one, take feedback from our customers and see what cocktails they want to see. And second, we want to make sure that all of our cocktails are going to be equally delicious with or without spirits. So that's something that 
Chloe and I stumbled upon with this business was the desire for non-alcoholic cocktails, but it's something that's now a really important part of the business. And we want to make sure that everything is delicious as a cocktail or a mocktail. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, the non-alcoholic movement is huge right now, and it's just awesome that you guys can participate in that. Um, My final question before we do our rapid fire at the end is, what do you want people to know about SESO that they might not already know? I think one really unique thing about SESO that isn't immediately obvious is that it's so highly customizable. Um, And what I mean by that is you can obviously add or decide not to add alcohol, but you can also make it a lot boozier. You can make it lower ABV. Um, you can also play with the tea bag and how long you steep it. And that will really dramatically change the flavor. So for example, our skinny spicy margarita contains real pieces of jalapeno. So if you're someone who loves spice, just leave the bag in and it'll get spicier over time as you drink it, which is, which I absolutely love because I love spice. Um, but it can really be for anyone. So if you hate spice, it's like very, very subtle. Just leave it in for the three minutes that we tell you to and take it out. The same logic applies to all of them. Um, the old fashioned, the longer you leave it in, the more bitter it'll become. And that's because we use real pieces of gentian root and chinchona bark, which are basically the herbs, um, that are at the, you know, root of the, uh, liquid bitters that you would traditionally find. So, um, there's really something for everyone, uh, regardless of what your preferences are, you know, if you drink or, or not. Um, and that's one of the, the main, um, you know, selling points in our mind for say so. Amazing. All right. We're almost out of time, but before you go, we'd like for you to participate in our final segment, take five, five questions for our guests. First, let's pause for a break. Hi listeners. We wanted to let you know that Heritage Radio Network's Julia Child Fellowship application is now open. The fellowship offers an enriching experience for aspiring food writers and journalists who share our passion for food systems change. The fellowship is a great way to progress in the field of food journalism and digital media and will start in early January 2024. This fellowship will provide participants with hands-on experience, mentorship, and access to an extensive network of industry professionals. The application deadline is November 27, 2023. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Julia Child Foundation Writing Fellowship link to learn more. If you or someone you know has interest in food studies and journalism, this might be a great fit. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the application today. Thank you. Welcome back. I'm Megan Rooney of SFA, speaking with Allison and Chloe of SESO. Let's jump into five questions for our final segment, Take Five. Question one, what is your favorite thing about the specialty food industry? I really love how supportive all the founders are in this industry. I think in CPG in particular, founders are really trying to support each other, lift each other up, help them get introductions to buyers and distributors and service providers and anything that helped them push their business forward. And I know that's something that we love to share learnings with other founders and have found so helpful and useful from other members of the SFA. Agreed. Question two, what is one thing that SFA has made easier for you and your brand? 
Um, SFA has just given us a lot of exposure that we wouldn't have otherwise had. We participated in the Fancy Food Show um, in June, and it was just a huge success for us. Um, we also participated in the Pitch Slam and, and won the People's Choice Award, which was amazing. Um, but we had tons of great conversations with buyers and industry people, and we just felt like it really propelled us forward. Beautiful. Question three is for both of you. So if you weren't running a business, what do you think you'd be doing? I think I would probably um, work in venture capital. I, I just love um, I love startups and thinking about startups and thinking about um, you know these great ideas and the market and potential for all these um, ideas and founders. And so that's that's where my head probably is. Um, but I love being a founder so much. So I hope to be able to do it uh, multiple times. Yeah, I think if you couldn't answer founder at all, because I echo Chloe, I don't think there's a better job than being a founder. But before business school, I worked at marketing strategy for Macy's, and I could have seen myself taking a strategy role for an e-commerce company after school. So uh, that probably would have been the, the easy way out for me. Um, but I think that's where I would have landed. Awesome. Question four, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to a new food business? Um, the one piece of advice I'd give to a new food business would be to be as resourceful as you can, um, speak to as many people as you can who are in the industry. It's super nuanced, this industry. Um, especially when you're, you know, selling into retail. Um, so I think that the conversations that we've had with other founders have been so important and so helpful. Um, so I would say lean on your network, never say no to a conversation, even if, if you think it's competitive or if you think that it won't be helpful to you, um, you know, in the present time, um, just do it. Great advice. And the final question, how do you define specialty food? I would define specialty food as a category within the food industry that is making a change. So whether it's a new product format, a new way to express ingredients, if it's better for you, or a new trend that you're tackling, whether that be non-alcoholic even, it's um, something that makes a smaller niche with, within the industry. Perfect. Well, Allison and Chloe, thank you again for speaking with me today. And before we go, please let everyone know where they can find you online and stores, any information. We can find us on our website. So it's drinksayso.com. You can also find us on Amazon. Um, and if you live in the New York City area, you can find us in Citarella, um, Fairway, Gourmet Garage, um, Morton Williams, GoPuff, Boisson. Uh, what am I forgetting, Allison? Uh, spirited Away. We're in a lot of specialty stores. And if you're listening from the West Coast, you can also find us in Bristol Farms and you can order us online at Good Eggs. You can find out more about this show at specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. 
And if you're in the food industry yourself, consider becoming a member of SFA by visiting our membership section on specialtyfood.com. Special thanks to Say So and to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast. Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast, is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.